Welcome to Picard Cast, our personal logs edition. Uh, as always, I'm Brooke, and I'm here with the co-hostess with the mostest, Rebecca. Hello, how are you? <laughs> I'm good. I'm good. Um, yeah, I uh, I started watching uh, Voyager just because um, for reasons that we'll we'll you know be obvious in a minute um but i noticed you were watching trying enterprise again how's that going for you yeah i am uh once again trying to watch enterprise um i would say this time around i am more than trying i am succeeding at enterprise i am in season two i want to see i'm about episode maybe 15 ish around there um I'm not going to lie. It's not my favorite Star Trek show. (laughs) Um, But I think I had had such a... I guess maybe when I watched it, I just... In my head, I was like, this isn't Star Trek. And I kind of like, you know, was like, I don't want to watch this. Um, But, you know, I'm I'm a different person now than I was when the show came out. And I'm more mature. And I've, you know, experienced Discovery and Picard, which are very different. And Mm -hmm. um, so I figured, you know what? Why not? Now's the time to go back and try something that I didn't like before. Um, I have to say, the the show is is more enjoyable than I remember it being. I, I certainly like I, I have my nitpicks, especially with season one. Um, but I do think that season two is stronger than season one. Um, and I am actually looking forward to getting into season three and seeing like what what happens next with the crew. But yeah, I'm actually yeah, I'm enjoying it more than I thought I would. Um, how are you enjoying Voyager? Um, I, I like it so far. I, uh, because we have a couple of episodes in season four to watch for this. That's where I started with season four. That's fine. (laughs) Um, uh, but I did watch the first episode of Enterprise. Mm -hmm. And, uh, I didn't think that the, the theme song was as bad as you were making it out to. Maybe if you hadn't said anything about it, it would have been worse to me. But I think I was preparing for like, I don't know, like really terrible levels of of music. So <laughs> I, I think what's so weird is that it's the only Star Trek series that has an actual theme song with words that are played. We um, can put lyrics to any of them and just sing along if you Well, th- this is certainly true and 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 I'm not against that. And in actu- actuality, the uh, Star Trek the original series, that theme, Gene Roddenberry did write words to uh, the the melody, the tune that is played. Really? He did. Um he kind of did it for a really terrible reason. He wanted he didn't want to this is terrible. I love Gene Roddenberry, <laughs> but you know he didn't. He's an imperfect person, as we all are. Um, the he did not want to give a hundred percent of the um, of the rights and therefore the you know residuals uh-huh. to the person who wrote the the theme music. So he then wrote lyrics and then submitted it as a fifty fifty project. Oh, and wow. uh, so the. Yeah, uh, not very nice because he hmm. did that behind the composer's back and the composer was none too happy to have to uh, share what he thought would be his own, mm-hmm. um, you know, obviously his own uh, credit to it. Uh, he had no input to the to the lyrics. It was it was all Roddenberry. 
That's terrible. Yeah, it's not very nice. Uh, anyway. not very nice so. <laughs> anyway, I'm sorry, you guys. I, I kind of got off talking about Star Trek on our Star Trek podcast and neglected to go off topic on, yeah, <laughs> neglected <laughs> to let you all know that Nicola's back. Yay! Hello. <laughs> well, I was just that enjoying was you voice. talking about Voyager and Enterprise because <laughs> I happen to love the Enterprise theme song. Oh, nice. Okay. It it grows on you. Mm-hmm. It definitely. I was just saying this morning that it it grows on you because this week I found myself, you know, in the middle of doing a project, all of a sudden being like. It's a long road. Oh, what am I doing? It's not singing the song. Oh, my goodness. That's amazing. I just feel like all the themes of the different shows capture the shows so well, even though they're all so different. Mm-hmm. For sure. I agree. I mean, I guess the, uh, you know, there's uh, some similarities with some, with the, uh, you know, uh, more orchestral ones. But, mm-hmm. yeah, they're all kind of. Fit the tone. <laughs> I have to say, of of all this series, although I do probably because I've just watched more of Next Generation so many times, I, I of course I enjoy that theme. Um, but I think that my favorite theme of all the Star Trek series is actually the Star Trek Voyager theme. I, I really love the melodies and like, um, especially towards the end, um, you get this really nice beat where it's like. Bum 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 bum. I I really enjoy the Voyager theme a lot. Um, I don't write music, everybody, so I just have to sing them bum bum bums. But that's, <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I, I I have to say of all of them, I I think Voyager is my favorite. I think it's a really very pretty theme um, of all the of all the Star Treks. <laughs> Sounds good. <laughs> Awkward pause. Now. Awkward pause. <laughs> and now, we'll continue. <laughs> anyway, so uh, the reason why Nicola's here, she's going to talk about one of her favorite episodes of Star Trek. And if you would give us what episode you picked and uh, a little a little insight on to why. Yeah, so um, it's really hard to pick a favorite episode. Um, it's like picking a favorite cheese, which is nearly impossible. <laughs> um, but I really love, I mean, I really enjoy Mirror Universe episodes, and A Living Witness really, it starts feeling like a, like a Mirror Universe episode, even though it's, it's not, and you just get to play around with the different characters, and I feel like when science fiction, especially Star Trek, is at its best, is when it's being political and when it's taking a look at like what artifacts, what we can learn from artifacts and what that tells us about history and who we are today. Um, and, and then how that translates to conflicts. And I just feel like a living witness does that so well while also having a lot of fun with like the holodeck. I, I really agree with uh, your uh, reasoning here on this episode. I, it's interesting because when you picked this, for some reason in my head, I had it that I was like, oh, I guess this is like a so-so episode of Voyager. I, for some reason, it, it didn't click uh, all the themes that were in this episode when I first heard the title. And then when I started watching it again, I said, 
oh, wait a minute. What am I saying? This is a great episode of Star Trek. And it's exactly what you're talking about. It's the idea of history being written from a very slanted point of view to make certain people out to be the villains and certain people out to be the martyrs or the good guys. But where's the truth in all of that? Somewhere Mm -hmm. in that, in this story, is the truth, but um, it's certainly not the truth that was presented for so many years. Um, and, and you're right. I, I agree. Star Trek is at its best when it is political, which, which makes me laugh when people online complain and say, <laughs> oh, oh, why does Star Trek have to be political? Have you never seen an episode of Star Trek ever? Like, they're all political. What are you mm-hmm. talking about? You know, they're very, they're very um, heavy on, like, social issues and, and this episode I found to be very timely for the for for 2020 even of how Certainly. people look at history of uh, a slanted, uh, you know, um, viewpoint on the facts. Right. Like what a like the whole there's a whole thing now, like, you know, truth over facts. And I think this episode really plays into that idea. Like, here are the facts that we know and we're going to gleam our truth from the facts because we're missing so much detail. Yes, exactly. Yeah, great pick. I'm excited to talk about this episode with you Well, and originally you had picked a different episode because I know when we had talked about it, you were saying you you were talking about Seven of Nine and all that Mm -hmm. kind of thing and and sort of her arc and all that. Uh, And then I thought, well, I wonder why she switched to this episode. And then I started watching and then I'm like, oh, this is like a very timely episode, even though it's, you know, 20 two years old um well i like this episode for a lot of reasons the timeliness but i feel like as a whole voyager really fails on its premise um you know the premise is like they're far flung into a different quadrant of the universe and they're getting back but you know during voyager they're meeting all of these species they're interacting with them But you never get to see what happens next. You know, in the Alpha Quadrant, like, it doesn't really matter because we'll catch up in the next series. We'll see what's going to happen on, you know, 100 years later when we see a new episode of Picard. But, like, in Voyager, we have no way of knowing what happens when the ship leaves this quadrant of the galaxy. Mm. And I really appreciate that, like, this is almost like a what-if story of, like, here's all the stuff that happened as a result of Voyager that the crew has no idea. And I really appreciated that. Yeah. That's a, that's also a really valid point. We, um, yeah, once, once Voyager leaves, like, you know, their adventure is over. Um, there, there was a, there was, I think one other episode of Voyager that, that did explore that theme, I'm blanking on the name, but Nicola, you might remember it. Um, it's the one where they meet this um, guy, and he's like a linguist, and it turns out that he his, his species um, blamed Voyager because they helped the Borg defeat Species 8472, and um, once the Borg defeated Species Spoiler, 8472, <laughs> I know, sorry, eh, sorry about that. Oh well. Um, for for a twenty plus year old show, I'm sorry, but I know you're still watching it. Um, anyway, it's it's sort of just the idea of like Voyager did certain things to help themselves, but didn't 
have to see the the after effect but that episode explored what happened when you take out a species that's kept the borg in check what happens to all the other planets in that system now that the borg don't have anybody keeping them back and and that was that was a cool episode because it did explore those same themes that you're talking about here yeah it's i just i really you know i really appreciate this episode and i also like i love the character of the doctor Mm -hmm. and this is such a doctor centric episode and i feel like especially with voyager a lot of the the cast on the show was very unevenly written and they didn't know what to do with a lot of the characters. Mm -hmm. And for this episode, it really doesn't matter because it's other people telling, you know, the ship's story and it's the doctor's point of view telling the story. So it doesn't matter how the, you know, how well written the characters are because they're being told based on very specific points of view. And I think it, you know, it's just written really well. Um, in other episodes, the characters may not be written as well. Yeah, I, I totally agree with that. I think once Seven of Nine came on the show, once her character became part of the show, you know, she, the I felt like the writers didn't know what to do with everybody else because mm-hmm. a lot of the stories became Seven of Nine focused. Um, yeah, you're right. This is a great episode for the Doctor and um, it's kind of fun to see how um, it's kind of funny to see what details they get wrong in mm-hmm. this, like, simulation, like, uh, and, and we'll get into it all, but, like, you know, Chakotay's tattoo is, like, <laughs> gigantic. Yeah. Um, you know, Tuvok smiles, Neelix works on the bridge. Um, yeah, like, like, little details that you're like, that's not right, you know, mm-hmm. and it's, it's, and it's funny to watch. Um, in in that sense, but yeah, how, how interesting now to see uh, the doctor try to present the truth as he knows it versus this sort of truth that these people have held for hundreds of years. You know, cha- challenging such a closely held belief. Another very timely, mm-hmm. you know, topic of no matter what year it is, people have lots of preconceived ideas about other people, other races, other countries, mm-hmm. whatever. Um, and it's hard to get that out once it's been ingrained in you. And and this episode definitely talks about that. And I just, I think Robert Picardo is just phenomenal in this. Um, I'm right now doing a, a Stargate rewatch. And mm-hmm. uh, he plays a kind of a minor character in a few episodes. And then later on is is more important in Atlantis. But you know, that was my first experience with Robert Picardo, and just seeing him as the doctor is just, oh, I love his episodes. Mm. He's great. He's a, a really funny character actor. Uh, yeah, definitely. I didn't realize that he had been on that. Um, Cindy really likes um, Stargate, all of those, so. Oh, yeah. So, yeah. When he shows up in Stargate, he's literally the worst. And then he has some <laughs> redefining, you know, some really good character moments. And then he plays a really big role in Atlantis. Oh. And, you know, it's been fun rewatching the series. Cool. Uh, it was uh, strange typing the doctor as his name because of my whole Doctor Who thing. <laughs> <laughs> the doctor. Not that doctor. The other no, doctor. No, no, no. <laughs> Not that the doctor. 
<laughs> a different the doctor. Mm-hmm. <laughs> anyway, <laughs> of course, I always have to say something about Doctor Who. I think, or Star Wars, or both. Uh, anyway, um. <laughs> Doctor Who meets Star Wars in this episode <laughs> of Star Trek. <laughs> they all go through the Stargate and then... <laughs> oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, I mean, it was kind of a little bit of all that. Um, <laughs> so, uh, this episode, Living Witness, is from Season 4. It's Episode 23. Uh, the original air date was April 29th, 1998. 1998. Like, like, that just seems like yesterday sometimes. <laughs> yeah. And then also other times I'm like, that was a million years ago. (laughs) (laughs) I was like, I was sitting in geometry class right now, you know? (laughs) (laughs) Um, Anyway, so the story was by Brandon Braga, and who also did the teleplay with Brian Fuller and Joe Minoski. And it was directed by Tim Russ. Um... I didn't list any of the names of the people in it because I just haven't been doing that like we did for a little while. <laughs> you know, it's like the That's normal people. Right. And then we've got <laughs> some other people. Yeah, it's like all the regulars and then a few extras. Yeah, mm-hmm. here we go. <laughs> and some guest stars. <laughs> um, so the synopsis was pretty short, the one I had. It says, when the doctor's backup module was found, his hologram was bought online for the first time in 700 years. That's pretty much the plot, but also not just, you know, there's a lot more to it. Mm-hmm. Yeah. All right. Like I said, so I started on season four. You started I... on a good season. Oh, th- uh, thank you. No. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> well, um, I try. <laughs> right. I mean, on- honestly, I would have probably started somewhere else and watched a lot more if I hadn't watched all the available episodes of of uh, America's Next Top Model. <laughs> Side note, like there are a lot of uh, problematic things on that show that Tyra Banks actually like apologized for recently and uh I do think I had blocked some of them from my memory. Anyway, uh... oh, I was I was going to say I remember when America's Next Top Model was was airing live i remember mm-hmm. rushing home to watch it yeah because i thought like oh my gosh i love tyra banks and mm-hmm. and this and that but then you go back and watch it now and she says some really terrible things mm-hmm. to and, the women on that show and oh, oh. and they they don't have just one episode where they change the race of the models for photographs they have two they yeah. have yeah, it's very upsetting. Um, it's yeah, it's there are a lot of problematic things. I think it's good that she's been big enough to apologize for it now, yeah. and say like that you know that wasn't the right thing to do. Um, but yeah, I problematic like, things. I feel like with that, it's like she felt like if she didn't have a problem with that in particular, then you know what I mean. Uh, maybe not necessarily some of the other stuff, but. Yeah, they were cattier than I remembered. (laughs) Yeah. Anyway, so that's why I haven't... So I've only gotten to episode, like, 17 or something. Like, I haven't made it all the way to this episode. So then when I start... This is just the precursor because, you know, when we start to talk about this episode, missing a few episodes 
and it's starting, I was like, what have I missed? (laughs) (laughs) Because we um, open and Janeway is talking to uh, Vaskin, the Vaskin ambassador that I didn't take down his name because I think they said it once. Um, She seems more aggressive than usual. Um, you know, he's wanting some, some help to get, uh, a race known as the Kyrians, uh, kind of out of their way so they could get some more land. And, you know, she's basically wanting to just like get rid of them. <laughs> like, it's not like, oh yeah, hey, we'll, sure, we'll push them out of the way. It's kind of like, yeah, we'll, you know, we'll take care of them, you know, kind of thing. Well, and... I'm- the you whole know. ship is off. Like the lighting yeah. is off. Like yeah. their uniforms are off. It just it feels like a mirror universe. Yeah, because it's like they're wearing their regular uniforms, but instead of the gray turtlenecks they've got on black ones, there's not any kind of like uh, uh insignia or anything. There's nothing letting you know what um what they're, you know. Um, the rank is rank is thank you i could not think of the word and i have it i have it written down in here later but i just because it was you know because it's like it's kind of dark like it is like when we did um uh one of the uh what was that one yesterday's enterprise i was like what was that other one we just did Uh, how it was darker in the mirror universe kind of thing Mm -hmm. or the alternate timeline and so that's how it kind of is here it's like darker and grittier (laughs) and they're all wearing gloves they're all wearing Mm -hmm. like black leather gloves which (laughs) is weird it's all very dominatrix bdsm on the enterprise for on voyager for some reason i'm not sure it's really strange um and her hair is short and I was looking on wikipedia because you know of course they have all the answers and someone had put in this little um, note or whatever, which I was like, that's that's a little much for just a note. But I did appreciate part of it because it says, Captain Janeway, Kate Mulgrew, sports a butch haircut and excessive <laughs> sh- schadenfreude. And I was like, <laughs> okay, that far, yeah. I'm like, come on, a butch haircut, that's, what is this, 1992? Come on. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> but the fact that it's Sophia's Schadenfreude is so great because she she's she's definitely like, oh yes, we can make them pay kind of person. <laughs> oh yes, you know. <clears throat> Excuse me. You know, you just imagine she's just gonna do the the thing where she drubs her fingers together and you know, she had a mustache, she would twirl it kind of thing. <laughs> She like sit in her chair and spin around and be like, "No, Mister Bond, I expect you to die." Like that's what you're expecting her to say next. <laughs> uh, she's got like some sort of weird alien, sort of furry animal instead of like yeah. a cat. <laughs> <laughs> she's petting a triple. Yes, a triple. A triple. <laughs> That's even better because it would just be in the palm of a hand. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Instead of just like yeah, exactly. And then the next, next thing you know, everybody's got a dribble because that's how it works. With- <laughs> right, right, right. <laughs> they multiply. 
Um, you know, she wants to know what's in it for them if she helps them get rid of their enemies. And, you know, he's like, oh, away home. And, of course, this intrigues her because that's the whole point of this show. <laughs> and uh, he says that they know of a wormhole and their people can help them stabilize it. You know, hey, if you want to help us out, which... It was kind of funny because he's like, so here's what we can do for you after she's kind of like, let's just destroy everything to get what you want. And then he kind of <laughs> acted like he didn't want to do that. So, But then all of a sudden he's like, well, here's what we can do for you instead of like, see you later, lady. You know? <laughs> <laughs> um, so then we go to uh, the bridge. Uh, there's an alarm blaring. A crew member enters with I don't know what kind of species this crew member is supposed to be, but they have like crazy hair. Mm. And he's a, a gi- he's a he's a Kazon. Yeah, Kazon. Okay. By okay. season four, they've moved past the Kazon, um, yeah. so you haven't met them yet. Okay, it's all timey wimey. Yeah. I get mm-hmm. it. <laughs> <laughs> I was like, I don't know who this guy is. <laughs> Fish sticks and custard and all that. <laughs> <laughs> and. Like there's um they have they all have like gigantic guns, which is sort of amusing. Um but he passes Neelix, who's on the bridge and he's in a uniform and it looks like he's maybe working tactical or something. It's like what is going on? <laughs> and so then we see everybody else, you know, so and like we had seen Janeway with the black turtleneck and the gloves and the no calm and all that stuff. We see everybody else is like that. Um, and it's so funny because they show her sitting in her captain's chair. But she's sort of like very casually sitting in her chair. But also like ordering the death of people kind of thing. Like it's... Yeah, her, she's, like, so, she's so casual about it. Yeah, her casual violence was... <laughs> Interesting. <laughs> she plays it so well, too. Yes, yes. Um, but she, like, sends a message to this uh, uh, carrying ship. She's like, you know, if you don't stand down, we'll destroy you. <laughs> like, whoa. <laughs> um, so she, and she, whenever she calls them, she says that she's from the warship Voyager. So, you know, we also know that's wrong. It's like, what is happening? Like, what did you all think the first time you saw this episode? Because for me, I was just like, what is going on here? <laughs> like, I didn't think that it was supposed to be like a mirror episode. But then, of course, you know, we find out it's all a simulation. But I wrote the down first time, like, what? Like, that's the kind of stuff I wrote <laughs> down in my initial notes. <laughs> I mean, the first time I saw I didn't read the synopsis. So, like, I just assumed we're in a mirror universe. Um it, it to me it felt very much just like oh here we go here's another mirror universe where we get to see you know evil Janeway being cavalier about murdering a bunch of people cavalier that's a perfect word mm-hmm. no she, she definitely yeah. yeah she definitely um, is very very cavalier you know I'm I'm trying to remember like what I I think when I first saw this episode I think I felt like okay. This is either a dream sequence, or it's an alternate reality, or it's um, uh, 
so it's it's like something in that line. Um, I I definitely was surprised when it's revealed that it's like a this compl- complicated simulation in like a museum talking about how like this is how terrible Voyager was. You know, they caused this terrible war and we're all still suffering today because of it. And it's like, huh? Like, it's definitely that, okay, clearly that's not what happened, but let's find out what's going on here. Uh, I uh, I have to go back to the first scene uh, just because I have a joke. Um, I see the, <laughs> the mask guy and I was like, is that George Hamilton? <laughs> For anybody who remembers who oh George my Hamilton is, because yeah. his tan was like that. Anyway, he I thought it was George Hamilton ish. Yeah. <laughs> Where are we? Okay, so we find out Voyager's a warship. She asked Chakotay if uh, they found the leader of this group, and she calls him Chakotay, which is hilarious. <laughs> and everybody else does the whole time. And he's got this like, uh, like Caesar. George Clooney haircut which is hilarious because usually he's got like the sort of pompadour comb back hair um, and his tattoo is not just over on his forehead on the one side it goes all the way down his face and it, <laughs> since it has more of a more design that you can see it seemed like it was like a sort of Maori kind of design you know and they have like face tattoos and stuff so I was like okay interesting interesting oh and since like I said I, this is where I've just started watching this um I thought it was cool that there was like a Native American guy on on here mm-hmm. and I and then I read up on him and he's uh Mexican and like Native American or something and I was like oh that's really cool I like that so there's a lot of good diversity on this ship so far what I've watched mm-hmm uh, and that's exciting. Yeah. Uh, anyway. <laughs> um. Anyway, uh, Janeway says that they're going to flush out this leader with some biological weapons, and that the doctor's working on it. It's like, what is going on? You know, I'm like, why are they so awful? Um. And so in sick bay, we see the doctor, and he's hooked up like an android to the ship. It's like, oh, yeah, there was something really wrong. This has to be like some sort of weird dream sequence or something. It's what I'm thinking by now. And just because there's so many wrong, like, it's not, even in, like, mirror universes and mm-hmm. alternate timelines, like, he would still be a hologram. Mm-hmm. The whole thing, you know? Yeah. And you can't hook up a hologram like that. Although I think it's crazy that their holograms can actually hold objects and stuff, you know? Mm-hmm. But whatever. I don't know anything about hundreds of years from now. <laughs> I mean, listen, the the holographic stuff to me, like like you said about like he's a hologram, but he can hold objects. They explain it, of course, with some really great techno babble about how the doctor is able to change his basically his density at will. Oh. Like he can pass through objects when he needs to. So like if somebody threw like a tricorder at him, he could make himself more hologrammy and okay. it would just go right through him. But when he's treating a patient, he has to hold instruments. He's mm-hmm. able to basically solidify. So, okay. You know, uh, 
Techno babble. There you go. <laughs> I'm, I'm, I, I don't care how many hundreds of years this is in the future. It's probably not going to happen since we're already five years past uh, flying cars and hoverboards. Mm-hmm. You know, we haven't gotten that yet. And so, you know, that's fine. It's fine. <laughs> well, we have gotten alternate realities, so that's nice. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, no, Biff is president. We get it. It's terrible. Well, no, <laughs> like, they've discovered, like, they've found particles somewhere that suggest that there's, like, a mirror universe where time runs backwards. How do we get there? <laughs> no. I, I, I read that that was debunked, or that was... Not debunked. That's not the right word. I, I read that same article about the uh, about the particles from the alternate universe, and then mm-hmm. apparently a, a NASA scientist said no, that's not true. I don't know. I think there's some debate, but I I would. Well, yeah. Hope. I don't think it's like. <laughs> I wish. I wish. I would love to go to an alternate universe. Um, <laughs> every day I'm just in an alternate universe. <laughs> oh yeah. <laughs> The grass is always greener in the alternate universe. That's true. <laughs> That's very, I like that. That's very funny, Brooke. <laughs> Thank you. Uh, <laughs> so we see Voyager firing on the planet, this biological weapon or whatever. Um, and then we hear a voice saying, the warship Voyager was one of the most powerful vessels of its time. And then we see a man standing by what looks like a screen initially. And then we find out, you know, it's like a window into a simulation. Which is sort of hilarious to me. <laughs> but hey, that's how we have to get this to work. Instead of being like, oh wait, let's put this in the holodeck kind of thing. Anyway. Uh, <laughs> um... <laughs> The man, he's standing at, like, this podium, and he's talking to some people. Uh, he turns out to be the curator of this Kyrian History Museum. His name is Corin, And, you know, he's he's telling visitors that they feel the impact of this voyage encounter 700 years later. So now we know it's very far in the future, and you know they've had they had some bad times with with Voyager, and uh, he's letting everybody know about it. <laughs> <laughs> um, we have the intro, you know, as we as Rebecca uh, uh, so lovely sang. Um, <laughs> bum, 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 bum. <laughs> <laughs> um and uh, we come back, and there's a, a one of the guests at the museum asks about Voyager, and so Quarren tells them there were like 300 soldiers aboard, and uh, they deduce that Voyager meddled in many other cultures. Like that, this is not the only one that they that they bothered. Um, some other man comes up and asks about. Oh no, this man asks specifically about Borg drones, and it's like. Basically, Corrin is, like, saying that Voyager was kind of like a Borg ship where they were to assimilate people uh, and sort of, I guess, enslave them to be soldiers. You know, and at this point, we don't we don't know that there are actual Borg on the ship until later. So he goes back to resuming his, to, to the simulation and talking about it because people need to know the truth. <laughs> <laughs> um, 
so back in the simulation, um, we found out that from that ray, uh, that there are 3,000 Kyrians dead. Um, but that's not enough for our bloodthirsty Janeway. She <laughs> says 300,000 will be enough. Um, and the ambassador you can tell that he's very uncomfortable and he does not he he can't really do anything and he doesn't know what to say Um, then we have Tuvok uh, he he says it'll take an hour to to kill 300,000 and she says why do you always keep me waiting (laughs) I love that line (laughs) he he smirks and, and then apologizes and I wrote in my notes apparently don't know Vulcans at all. Oh yeah, that's that, that's when you know that this this thing, I mean, if you didn't already know, but like, the fact that they didn't get right that Vulcans don't smirk, right? you definitely know that these are people who do not know Vulcans. Mm-hmm. <laughs> so, uh, the ambassador uh, decides to speak up and he tells Janeway that he thinks this uh, genocide is excessive. It's an understatement, but yeah. Uh, <laughs> so she orders him sent to the brig because he doesn't want to mur- murder people. How dare you not want to murder people? <laughs> Throw them in jail. <laughs> right? Which is hilarious. Okay, so she wants to kill people, but then there are more vessels that come up to them, and she wants to evade them instead of like, Shooting them down? I <laughs> anyway. Make up your mind, Janeway. <laughs> <laughs> so then we go to Chakotay and Kim and they're interrogating some guy. <laughs> and I wrote it says they look like two brutes in a gangster film where someone is caught cheating in a casino. <laughs> 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 like, tell me where he is, and then you know. Smacked him around and oh my god! And was gonna hit him with a like a gigantic spanner or something. And the doctor comes up and he's just like, "That'll leave a mark." How about this? And he has this hypo spray that um is gonna cause the guy a lot of pain. So it starts where it makes his eyes tingle and then he can't see and then it just melts his cerebral cortex. <laughs> what? <laughs> I just love Chakotay in that scene because he's just like so over the top ridiculous. Like he's like, I don't like doing this. Yeah, like this isn't my people's way, but like I'm going to. I can do this all day. Like this, this hurts me more than it hurts you. Oh yeah, I mean they definitely have the good cop bad cop routine down, oh. and and for sure like you know Brooke when you go back and, and and eventually watch seasons 1 through 3 you'll see that they did a lot of episodes focused on the on Chicote's background as a native american and how he was very religious and like really attached to his people's faith and there were a lot of episodes where they really focused on it there so for one, him to mm-hmm. there was the one this season where uh he did a um led Neelix through a vision quest. Mm-hmm. Oh, yeah, yeah. There yeah. were a lot of vision quests yeah, on that kind of thing, Voyager. Yeah. <laughs> there were a lot of people discovering their spirit guides on mm. Voyager. But it's just funny for him now to be like, my people are peaceful. We're an enlightened people. And it's like, <laughs> oh, geez, even this Chakotay can't shut up about his people. <laughs> <laughs> 
Oh, let me I help you it. find your spirit animal. All right, calm down, Chakotay. <laughs> oh, I love it. I love it. Uh, <laughs> um, so basically, they're just wanting to know where the Kyrian leader Tedrin is. And, you know, they're willing to go to any means necessary to find out from this guy. And uh, even if it means going against their culture. (laughs) (laughs) Um, So the next scene, we're still in the simulation. Uh, Chakotay is informing Janeway where they found out that Tedrin is hiding. She tells him to take Tuvok and go down there and collect him. Um... And as they continue the assault, there's a problem. Like, intruders! Uh, there's some Kyrian... Hmm, I'm trying to think of a good funny thing to say. Some Kyrian... <laughs> they're like, Kyrian uh, uh, operatives, but they look like... I don't know, they look like henchmen out of a movie from 1992 that were in, like, leather bomber jackets and stuff. (laughs) And they come on board, and Janeway's like, computer, activate the Borg drones. And then you see Seven still as a Borg, and she wakes up, and she gets orders from Janeway to go to engineering or... And and take care of these guys. And she's got, like, three of her own, like, henchmen. <laughs> she does. <laughs> and, and they all go down there and, you know, take care of these, um, you know, extras from Batman <laughs> Returns or something. And, <laughs> uh, I guess it would be the first. Yeah, the first, actually just Batman, because it was like the Joker's henchmen that all kind of look like that. He was colorful and they weren't. Anyway, <laughs> I digress. <laughs> um, we find out that uh, they killed a couple of them, uh, and Jane Wayne tells uh, Seven she can have the rest, you know, to add to her collection of, of people. Um, so then on the bridge, Kim comes in, and he lets Janeway know that they found Tedrin, and she's like, bring him to me. Uh, then we see them in another room. I'm not sure what this room is. I don't know. Interrogation room. I don't know what it is. I think it's the, I think it's, it's the mess hall. Okay. Because it wasn't, there wasn't enough, like, there wasn't enough of anything around in, in there for me to tell because, you know, they just needed a place to do this, I guess. Um, and so Tedrin and his aide are brought into the room. You know, she tells him to stand down and stop the attack and all this stuff. And she's like, I'll destroy your whole world if you don't do this. And, <laughs> you know, because uh, she's like, I'm going to go home and you're going to be a martyr and all this stuff. And he's like, no, we're we're never going to surrender. We're never going to do this. And. Uh, she ends up killing him. Um, it's really hilarious because you see the aide and she kind of makes a face because she's waiting to be shot to die because it's like she knows in the script that she's going to be the first to get shot. And <laughs> she kind of makes a face, but you know, it's fine. Um, the, the ambassador is still over there and he's watching and he's, you know, completely horrified by the things that are happening. Um, We go back to the museum 
and uh, he said, and um, Corn says that they're the Kieran's lost, you know, millions of people, and all the rest of them were put in slavery and that kind of thing. Um, and over the seven hundred years, they've been fighting to get back their independence and all this stuff, and that it's all because of the actions that Janeway took that day that they just watched in the simulation. Um, so now Corrin gets questioned by a Vaskin guest. Um, he's mad that his people are being shown like as villains sort of basically, even though at this point we haven't really seen them be actual villains, but then, you know, um, but he doesn't want, Quarren teaching this stuff to his kids and this is the thing that is so like um, topical or uh, you know really very in the moment where he's just like I have Kieran friends you oh, know yeah. and it's like <laughs> that oh my god that just reminded me of like you know sure I have Kieran friends but would I want my daughter marrying one no right like, that right. was the second part of that statement that wasn't said, but mm-hmm. that we've all heard a million times. Uh, right, exactly. And it's just like, what the heck? Um, and Corrin's like, well, guess what? We found an artifact, and it's gonna, it's gonna let you know that we're right, and that we're gonna even hear from the people on Voyager, because it's surely got all of their logs and stuff on it and <laughs> um i wrote basically he found an external hard drive so he thinks um <laughs> and then, but you know by this time all the other guests are looking at them and corn's like go on go about your business go <laughs> kind of thing um so later on don't know when it is could be any time. I have a feeling Corrin lives at the museum. Uh, <laughs> he we seems see... <laughs> He seems obsessive about his museum. Oh, yes. <laughs> <laughs> um, he goes into the simulation. He uh, has it set up as the engine room. He's fiddling around with this artifact. Uh, it turns out it's actually the MH backup. So the doctor appears as a hologram and is like, what is your medical emergency? Where the heck? Is, why am I? You know, kind of thing. And then he realizes this guy is it is a Kyrian. And he's just like, oh, security, security, you know. Um, and I didn't write this down, but I kept thinking every time I saw the Kyrians, they have this like little thing at the bridge of their nose like you know something to denote that they're alien but it looks like it looks like two like white head zits about to pop or you just or there's pus starting to come out of them like it's disgusting I couldn't I couldn't handle it uh, <laughs> it's not my favorite alien design no 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 um I'm sorry whoever worked on like the visual you know like the makeup effects but it was just weird i didn't care for it um you did a good job making it gross even though you didn't yeah. want it to be gross i'm sure for real it's not yeah it's not it's not the best <laughs> um so <laughs> the doctor 
appears, right? And he is uh, surprised that he's there. And Quarren's telling him, you know, you're not, this is all simulation. None of that's real. You're not going to get anybody to answer your call. And so then the doctor's like, what? What kind of thing? And then and Quarren is the same way, except for that the doctor is a hologram. He's like, I didn't, you're a hologram. Your hologram, like he keeps repeating it because he's he's so surprised, and you know he lets the doctor know that it's been seven hundred years. He doesn't know what happened to anybody from Voyager. You know I, the doctor doesn't really believe him, which I thought was kind of like this was kind of crazy because it's like the doctor doesn't believe him, and then he sort of no, and then runs off. <laughs> it's like. That seemed like a little much, but, but you know, he winds what? up in another room in the museum. I just think how devastating it would be for the doctor. Like, yeah, it's like he went to yeah. sleep and then when he woke up, it was he's supposedly 700 years later. Like, that's of course, true. it's not, you know, I mean, he's more I mean, he actually has like feelings and stuff for a hologram. That's true. Oh, yeah. And, like, that's what I love about the Doctor at this point. Like, he's programmed himself to be much more human Mm -hmm. than, you know, your typical hologram. (laughs) There was one one where somebody was stealing stuff off of ships, like, like, and and, um, Da Vinci was in it and all this stuff and Leonardo Da Vinci had his little thing so that the doctor could go around the ship and stuff and and so now like he was wearing it or whatever and the doctor's like I can't leave sick bay and so he's like <laughs> trying to get <laughs> I love this bit because he was trying to get uh, Seven to give him like gossip and stuff and tell him <laughs> what was going on. Oh yeah, yeah. And she's just like everything is normal. Yeah, there was an altercation, you know, because her and, her and Torres got in a fight. It's like great, uh, and he just wants to know every little tidbit. He's like, I- come back if you want to talk. <laughs> <laughs> that is a great scene. And yeah, once he got that mobile emitter. You know, he could go anywhere on the ship. He could go on away missions. And he he loved that thing because it, it really, it was allowed him to physically leave sick bay. And then, um, you know, he, as, as, as uh, Nicola mentioned, you know, he had expanded his programming. And you know, he was so much more than just the original hologram that he, you know, when we first met him. Mm-hmm. So, well, yeah. One of the very first things he says when he like wakes up these seven hundred years later is like, "Where is my mobile emitter?" Like, oh right, (laughs) yeah, exactly. Part of him. It's really like it's who he is, and without it, like there's this sense of loss. Mm -hmm, For sure. But yeah, it it gave him. It made him feel more like one of the crew because. You know, of course, anybody on the crew could just walk wherever they want, but not the doctor. The doctor mm-hmm. was confined to sick bay because that's where the holographic emitters were. But mm-hmm. now with this thing, it's almost like he was just like, you know, one of the gang. You know, he could mm-hmm. just walk around anywhere, and it, it made him even more a part of the crew. Mm-hmm. Okay. <laughs> I, you know, I haven't watched enough of it, so I just sort of jumped in, and I'm like, he's got a lot of thoughts and feelings and stuff for a hologram. (laughs) (laughs) 
not a real person. I'm so confused. Yeah. Uh, but no, that it's, it's, it's one of the things I think is one of the really greatest parts of, of Voyager is watching the Doctor. Um, it's almost like watching Data try to become more human in, in Next Generation. Mm-hmm. You're watching this hologram try to be more than just a program, more than just a computer program with subroutines and, mm-hmm. you know, um, and, and he does it in his own unique way. Whereas, you know, Brent Spiner did it in his own unique way mm-hmm. when he was Data. Um, and definitely, I think Robert Picardo plays it extremely sarcastic, which is, mm-hmm. um, it just fits the character so well. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it, 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 I like him more than I expected to. <laughs> oh, that's awesome. He's definitely probably my favorite, one of my favorite characters on the show. And just... Mm-hmm. You would think that he would be too similar to Data in his journey to be from artificial to human. Mm-hmm. And it's just such a unique way of, you know, going about this transition to being, you know, the doctor. Mm-hmm. And uh, without him, we wouldn't have 17 Rioses. That's, this is <laughs> true. Is very true. <laughs> All with different accents. Yes. <laughs> That's very true. Oh my goodness. Okay. <laughs> um so we go back to the doctor looking in, at this museum and being freaked out and he's like I want to contact Starfleet if there's still such a thing. I need, you know, I uh, all these things are going through his head. He's trying to figure out what to do and he's like, you know, what are you going to do with me? Am I going to be in display? And <laughs> compares himself to like Rip Van Winkle and stuff and um Quarren is like you're you're a war criminal so you're gonna have to be like tried for all of these things that you did (laughs) like what (laughs) well doesn't he tell him that um he says that um on his world holograms are considered sentient life Mm -hmm. and yeah, I'm like, well, that's convenient. Like, mm-hmm. <laughs> well, it's 700 <laughs> years in the future, so I guess they all are now, you know? Right. <laughs> all because of him. Um, well, and like, he had to Quarren, the doctor is the one that created this biological weapon and, and killed all these people. Like, because he's a mass murderer. And <laughs> poor doctor is just like, as, no, I just want to <laughs> help people. <laughs> so, you know, that's that's kind of sad. But he wants to see what their version of events are. So um, the next scene we see well, the crew. I want to co- go back to that oh, yes. the scene real quick. Because, like, you know, there's that moment where he's like, you know, this isn't what happened. This isn't. There's that. They show the ship in the background. And he's like, that's not what my ship looks like. And, um... Yeah, because it had tons of, like... Yeah, torpedoes, torpedoes and it's, like, an armored hull. And Korn's like, well, we found a partial schematic that was damaged. So, like, we could have gotten some things wrong. (laughs) And I think it was during that moment where, like, it just plays into how we look at things in history and we think we know what happened, but mm-hmm. we're only getting fragments of our past. Yeah. And we just, you know, 
Corin says later on, like, well, we extrapolated based on what we know. And that's all history is, is we're just extrapolating based on what we know. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And we know a lot, but there's a lot of things we don't. And we get a lot of things wrong. But, yeah, like there's, I mean, when it comes to all kinds of things, like with <laughs> revisionist history and all, you know, about slavery and stuff and you know uh things that people get wrong about how you know someone being like transgender or something might have been viewed in other cultures or other times and that some things are more relatively new about gender and all that kind of stuff too you know it's like we can't we can't pretend to know everything just from one little bit of stuff Mm -hmm. you know Mm -hmm. um well, I think it's also true of like of how you look at things. So, wh- one example would be, and I had heard this ages and ages ago when I was still in school, was that you know if you go back into let's say American history books, right, and we learn about a figure in the Revolutionary War, Benedict Arnold, right. In in American history, he's a traitor. He's terrible. He collaborated with the British, and and so on and so forth. But if you were to go on the British side, would they view Benedict Arnold as a traitor, or would he be viewed as some heroic patriot who was trying to keep the colonies together for the glory of England? Like th- it's how you look at things. Because the fact is there of what happened, but it's how you look at it from your and, point of view. And not just that, but, like, who's teaching us the information? I think sure. a lot about, like, I, um, you know, in school learning about the civil rights movement, and it was like, well, Martin Luther King Jr., he was the good guy. He was the pacifist. Malcolm X was the bad guy because he was angry. And, like, that was the history I was taught. And sure. then it wasn't until, like, way later when I was actually teaching Malcolm X and like my mind was so blown because it's like how how was I allowed to learn this when this is so far from the reality and it's you know this is the story people want you to believe because it's convenient Mm. and you know in this episode there are so many things that they've extrapolated because it's it's convenient for them to tell their history this way. Yeah. Yeah, that's a that's a really great example. Uh, so, yes, I really did. <laughs> I, I don't want it to seem like I didn't like that. Like, that was a very uh, good way of putting it. Um, but back to the show, unfortunately. Um <laughs> Back to our science fiction show after all our serious talk, but yeah, there will be more. Yeah, we're uh, done with politics talk now. This is, this oh, is science fiction. Oh, yes, of course. Uh, <laughs> back to Star Trek. No. Which is not political at all, ever, <laughs> as we all know. <laughs> There's no politics in space battles. Listen, nope. <laughs> sometimes it's not political because, uh, the death of, you know, people like genocide, that shouldn't be political, you know, or people going hungry. Anyway, you know, some themes should not be political, but that's just my soapbox. I'm going to get off. Um, <laughs> well, I, I'm going to get off one soapbox. I need the other one to be able 
to see over the counter. So, um, <laughs> 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 um, so we go back to the simulation. We see the the uh, senior officers or who they <laughs> think are quarreling. Um, Paris calls Neelix a hedgehog, and then <laughs> a fist fight ensues. And so then I go, "Are these? Are those not in- <laughs> extinct?" Because I just was thinking about, you know, people having them as like pets or something, and then like all of a sudden there's no more hedgehogs, and it's like, would he know what a hedgehog is at this point in time? Oh well. <laughs> I am I am fascinated that a culture that lives in the Delta Quadrant seventy. 70- <laughs> What mm-hmm. seventy thousand? No, seventy light years away. Not mm-hmm. seventy light years away. Mm-hmm. Um, seventy years away from um, Earth. Seven hundred years in the future knows what a hedgehog is <laughs> and knows what it looks like and <laughs> knows enough that if you called somebody that, it would be an insult. I am. Right. That is incredibly fascinating to me. <laughs> I mean, maybe Tom is. Showed him what a hedgehog looks like. Yeah, maybe, maybe you know, one of the artifacts they found was someone's skeletal remains of a, their pet dead hedgehog. We yeah, never maybe. know. They looked yeah. it up on Space Wikipedia. Yeah, their hedgehog, <laughs> hedgehog drawing. <laughs> uh, and to stop the fight, Janeway shoots a panel off the wall. <laughs> And I wrote, it's expensive. (laughs) (laughs) And the doctor is like, I can't even tell you how wrong this is. (laughs) And, you know, he's telling Quarren, you know, we were, they were trying to make a trade deal with the Vaskins and then the Kirin's attacked and, you know, Quarren's all like, well, just wait till you see the rest of it, you know, (laughs) like that's really going to. Like it's gonna all of a sudden turn into you know their whole the the truth um, reality or whatever, and um, so they continue the simulation, and we see Janeway, you know, with, grab the big gun and kill Tendron, and we've but we find out that from the doctor that Tendron actually led the attack. Um, and the doctor tells Quarren that uh, this is just revisionist history, as we've explained. I mean, you could even name this episode that. Mm-hmm. <laughs> um, but Quarren, of course, when faced with an alternative possibility, he denies it and he gets mad and literally shuts down, or at least literally shuts down the doctor's program and he turns off the EMH because he's just, Oh, of course not. You know, because he's, you know, he's put his whole life into doing this, mm-hmm. but he's only seen like his side of the story do it. You know, he's filled it in. Uh, <laughs> he's used the frog DNA to fill in the story when it. Probably <laughs> exactly. <laughs> And now all the dinosaurs are loose on Voyager. So that's yeah. happening here. I, there are, the dinosaurs don't have feathers. Like, you know. But also, too, like, think back to earlier in the episode where, he, you know, Quarren uh, gets confronted by the other guy. And he's like, well, what if these artifacts re- reveal a different truth? 
what what then? He's like, well, we'll adjust our attitude accordingly. Like he's so confident that these facts will, or these um, artifacts will not change mm-hmm. his um, perception of the truth that he makes that claim. And yet, when he's presented with the very thing that will do just that, as you said, Brooke, he literally shuts down. Like he shuts down the doctor's program. He doesn't even want to discuss it because it's easy to say that you'll change your mind if you're presented with the right facts, but it's hard to do. It's very hard to do, especially if it's something that you've believed since you were a child. And Mm -hmm. now as an adult, you've poured your whole life into this museum to find out that everything you believed to be true was a a lie. It's incredibly difficult to let that go. Yeah, and he, um, the way he does the performance on that line is really good because it shows, you know, like, oh, he's just saying, you know, saying that they'll change accordingly just to appease this guy but you can tell by the line reading that the character like you said doesn't think it's really going to change it's not going to change his opinion and uh, so I I I really liked that you know that whole uh, interaction because it wasn't exactly like it wasn't what he said it was how he said it Mm-hmm. To know what he thought. Yeah, absolutely. I also really love how the doctor, <laughs> I mean, it's a comedic moment, but the doctor mm-hmm. is like, you've got all of the characters wrong. Yeah. Well, except for Tom Paris. Right. Yes. Yeah. <laughs> that was that great. Thing. That <laughs> was great. Because yeah, it was like carousing around. <laughs> oh, hilarious. Because he was uh, like, maybe if you weren't chasing the female ensigns, yeah. and it's like, Everybody wrong, well, except for Tom Paris. <laughs> yeah, that, that is Tom Paris. Oh, it's so funny. Um. Anyway, so then we see Quarn at some point in time later in the in his future. Uh, he is dictating to his recorder, and uh, we find out that he's feeling a little bit of remorse for his accusations on Voyager. Um. And he notes that, you know, the doctor's a hologram and he probably wouldn't be programmed to readily lie like that. So maybe he was telling the truth. Um, So we can tell he's done some soul searching and he's had a bit of change of heart and all those other cliched phrases. (laughs) Well, Uh, you know, there's one piece of evidence that they're wrong. Mm-hmm. And it's that he's a hologram. Yeah. So the doctor can say anything and it can all be dismissed. But the fact is they thought he was an android and he's a hologram. So like what else can be wrong? Right. And I think like if there wasn't that one piece of evidence, like if they had just thought he was a hologram, you know, the story might have just ended there. Mm-hmm. But, you know, because there was that whole thing where he was confronted with this one verifiable truth we thought this and this is the reality he has to confront that there's no way Mm -hmm. around it yeah that's that's an excellent point because it's really what starts the ball rolling i mean to Mm -hmm. get such a big thing wrong you know um 
I mean, that's a huge thing. You you thought he was a completely different type of life form, and it turns out he's something you know altogether. Which so it means, you know, everything that you had extrapolated based on thinking that the doctor's an android well then that's all incorrect too so it, it really does it's like this little one little drop in the bucket but then it starts to build and build and build until you realize we could have gotten so much wrong you know it's probably worth listening to the doctor here to see what really happened and and you're right if if they had gotten that right that he was a hologram it it probably it, it, it would have made no difference, but because he's confronted with it, he can't deny it. Wow, we got this totally wrong. Now all of a sudden things are are he's questioning decisions mm-hmm. that have been made. Well, I feel like he could he could have just ignored it if he wanted to, if he wanted to keep everything how it was, but he you know, it's like he has now has like a moral obligation. Like because he actually cares about it. Like it's because if he just decided he did not care and he's like, fine, we just got that one thing wrong. He could just go on with his life and never turn the doctor back on. Never worry about if the story was right or not. But because he's got, um, he, he has some sort of like moral problem with it. Then he real you know, that, Oh, well, mm-hmm. what if we're all that? Yeah. He actually, you know. Well, I mean, I think you can see that he's he's a man of he's a man of some kind of principle of some kind mm-hmm. of moral principle. So for him to say, you know, I have an obligation to the truth, I, I have to investigate this further. I, mm-hmm. I think that that is definitely um, something to be to be like praised at least that the fact mm-hmm. that he was humble enough to say. I, I want the truth, not just my version of the truth. So let me explore this further. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Well, well, and even like in the next scene when he reactivates the doctor, it's like, he's like, I don't know what I want. I don't know what I want out of like knowing this new reality, but I, I've got, I can't just leave it here. Like it's mm-hmm. too much just to, to know it now. There's got to be more. Well, and it, it, we've know that uh corn is um what's a good word like he's obsessive but like um inquisitive like he because he spent his whole life researching all of this and working you know either by himself or with other people to try to find uh, find the truth and to piece together everything and you know working with the archaeologists when they find things and all that kind of thing and it's like so if he's someone who wants to search for all of that like he still wants he wants to continue his search when he's given something a new piece of evidence you know so that's that's cool because he, you know, it's it's part of his personality. That's something that he is compelled to do. So, and it's for good reasons. No. <laughs> yeah. Uh, so, as Nicholas said, he uh, brings back the doctor, and they're talking. You know, the doctor's like, "I got this. I'll take care of it." <laughs> 
Um. <laughs> well, and the doctor's so sarcastic. Like, why did you want to talk to a mass murderer like me? Yes. Yeah. Yes. <laughs> well, but I'm a mass murderer. <laughs> it's almost, it's almost like we're. I would have thought you were afraid I would kill you. Like, if he would say something <laughs> like that, but I didn't. Um. So we see regular Janeway. And the doctor simulation. Um, the ambassador is telling them they're having trouble with uh, diplomacy uh, with the Kyrians. And uh, so she calls sickbay and she's like, hey, doctor, we need to get these medical supplies ready because we're going to trade with them. And they're attacked. You know, it's the good old Star Trek set shaking. Um, <laughs> turns out it's Tedrin and... The Kyrians, um, which would be a great like '80s new wave band. Imagine uh, the Kyrians, I love it. <laughs> uh, uh, they're in the engine room and they're fighting and stuff. And they take Kim and Seven hostage in what we see. But the Doctor's like eh, an uninjured member of the crew, like something like that is what he says. And I'm like, but he's actually one of the characters. Anyway. Uh, <laughs> Um, they killed some crew members, they took them to the mess hall, um, and we see the doctor and Janeway and the ambassador had followed them, and they go in, and they're confronting Tedron and everybody, and, um, Tedron's like, you all are conspiring with these aliens, you're gonna do all this stuff, you know, and he's accusing the ambassador of all, of all of these things, and uh, they kind of get an argument, and then the ambassador shoots him. <laughs> yeah. <gasps> oh, well, crap, you know? <laughs> and they're like, no, oh, dude, we were going to toss this out. <laughs> uh, so, there are nine carrying ships, and then they, they attack Voyager after that. Um, then we see that we're in another room, and this uh, simulation has been shown to, like, a, the council or something. And they start arguing about who started the war, and one of the guys is like, oh, you know, but don't worry about things that happen now, because the Kyrian delegate, she's like, you know, we're a lesser race. We still can't go to the same, our kids can't go to the same schools as yours do, and all this kind of stuff. So, you know, it's important. And he's like, "Well, it's, the the history part's what's important, not what's going on now." And it's like, "Listen, buddy, what happened <laughs> then affects what happens now. So you do need to find out what happens so that you can make things better now, <laughs> not like, oh yeah, 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 slavery happened. That sucks. Sorry. Um, yeah, yeah. We're not going to worry about it anymore. That kind of thing. <laughs> right. Yeah. That's that's a a great example. And then the fact that you know when when she drops that line of like how you know well my kid can't go to the same school as your kid, you're like oh mm-hmm. oh man this is like. This is like for real Mm -hmm. that there's this prejudice still happening and you could see why the 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 ones who are in the position of power 
are like, yeah, we don't need to change history. And the people who are the ones who have suffered because history has not been presented correctly are like, uh, yeah, we totally need to change history because the effect is still being felt to that day. Mm-hmm. And it's it's a real tangible thing. And it's really, I mean, this is a really well-crafted story because it really does touch on a lot of, a lot of stuff that people still experience today. You know, there's still a lot of preconceived ideas, w- deeply ingrained prejudices that mm-hmm. people carry with them. And, and it's, it's based on just stuff you were taught as a kid, stuff, mm-hmm. jokes you heard growing up as a kid that as an adult, you struggle with to say, that's not really appropriate. How do I move past that? Mm-hmm. And and I, th- this episode is just, I mean, it could have come out today and it would still be timely. <laughs> like it, yes. it, it absolutely, it holds up to, to the modern, to, to the modern era. Yeah, for sure. For sure. I also think it holds up in a unique way because, like, it it doesn't take place in a Star Trek timeline. Like, it's its mm-hmm. own thing. Mm-hmm. And so it's so, like, it's so easily accessible whenever you're watching it because it's in its own kind of reality because mm-hmm. it takes place 700 years later. Mm-hmm. So it, I, I think there's that aspect of it giving this additional timeliness, and that was just a smart way of having it set so far ahead. Right. Was these things are still happening 700 years later? Prejudice is still alive and well, you know, in this other culture society. Mm-hmm. It's one thing about Star Trek is that uh, they work in some pretty deep themes a lot. Mm-hmm. Like sometimes there are some ridiculous episodes that don't oh. really have anything to do with plenty, anything. Plenty of those, you know, <laughs> sex with a ghost alien or whatever. Um, Please somebody pick that episode. <laughs> <laughs> uh, but there are so many good episodes that are like I, you know, when I was looking up stuff about this one, which I hope you all brought stuff because I didn't write anything down really except for schadenfreude thing (laughs) um like it said that it's it's one of the highest uh rated most beloved episodes of voyager and Mm -hmm. like after watching this episode i feel like it's probably one of the best star trek episodes like it's really good i mean granted i haven't seen everything yet i was reading a lot about like how it ranks and everything as far as holodeck episodes it's top 10 of like everyone's list on for Voyager episodes, it's top five because we're not really seeing what's happening to the Voyager crew members, but it's such a good story. Even though it's 700 years later, you still feel for the doctor in this moment because like this whole culture and society is judging the doctor based on so much wrong information. Yeah. And I, I think something, too, that, that this episode is very good at is, uh, or something I think that Star Trek is very good at, is that it doesn't shy away from the from the issues that are universal issues. Mm-hmm. You know, issues of, 
equality and prejudice and sexuality at time. Not that this episode particularly deals with that, but certainly Star Trek doesn't shy away from those heavier issues. And this episode has loads of it, just not being afraid to call out prejudice and racism and and rewriting history to uh, serve your own narrative or have one person being judged by the actions of an entire in this case, an entire ship. I love that Star Trek doesn't shy away from these types of things. And rather, it brings it out into the light because I think that that's part of the human experience is that even Star Trek being set so far in the future and, you know, in theory, we've all moved past bigotry and, and, and racism, but you still encounter it mm-hmm. in the world and you still have to stand up to it. Mm-hmm. And And I think that that's great about Star Trek. It's constantly telling you to not be afraid to stand up to those things mm-hmm. and, to, and, to, and to stand up for what's right and to not be pulled into the racism and the, the bigotry and all that. And I think this episode does that. I think it's telling you just to know when you see something that's wrong, you have to speak up and say something. I agree. It's like, do I ever want to go on to the last... We have such a good discussion. I don't even I know. Such a good the ending of this episode, though, is one of my favorite Star Trek endings though i just i did not expect the ending of this so right we have, yeah so we have doctor and corin talking and the doctor's wondering about the crew again and he then he mentions torres who we didn't see because i guess they didn't have any records of her to put her in there i don't know and <laughs> he kind of goes on and he kind of like wistfully remembers or you know oh she was beautiful and wonderful and stubborn you know or whatever like it's like it's great stuff like some explosions and stuff and they go out and there is a group of vascans who are destroying the museum uh they found out about the doctor showing up and that it's a museum of lies um, <laughs> and then we see the next day the doctor's like where's you know we where's the tricorder you know, that would have information about how the other guy, what is it? Who name? actually, sh- what weapon yeah. actually Yeah, what weapon actually shot Tedrum. Yeah. I was like, I couldn't remember Tedrum's name. Uh, you know, it would have his information. It would tell him it, what kind of gun it was or whatever. Um, and they can't find it. And the doctor's just kind of like, just don't worry about it. This has caused so much problems. Just go ahead and keep your truth. And just delete my program. You know, he's like, don't worry about it. it. I've caused so much trouble and I and I hate hate that, basically. Then we find out that they're still in a simulation in the museum because it's years later. This mu- The museum is now showing the simulation of the doctor being there and all of the stuff happening in that order of what we just watched. So it's like... Midsummer Night's Dream play play within a play. Yes, simulation within a simulation. And I was like, Inception. What? <laughs> yes. <laughs> I've never seen that, so I don't ever use that as a reference. Oh, okay, okay. But I was I was in a Midsummer Night's Dream and there's a play within the play, so I, that's what I always forget. Um, or it's like when you have a dream within a dream, because I have those all. She goes on the now it's like a female curator. She says that Corin had died. Like six years after what they just watched, the doctor was around for several years, you know, being their medical chief guy, uh, doctoring about. Then he decided one day to leave and he took a ship and he went 
to the Alpha Quadrant because he wanted to find out what had happened to the Voyager, you know, so he was going to go. I I love that ending so Mm -hmm. much. He decides to head to the Alpha Quadrant Mm -hmm. and find out what happened to Voyager. I love that ending. I think it's so, um, it's very much riding off into the sunset, you know, and I really like that. It really isn't. Like, I just like knowing that, you know, this isn't the doctor that survives all through season seven of Voyager, but like there's this version of the doctor that's still out there somewhere in the universe. Yeah. His backup program is out, you know, researching his long lost friends and stuff. Mm -hmm. Oh, it's, it's so sad. It's almost like a bittersweet ending. It's almost uh-huh. like, in a way, uh, and st- stick with me on this, um, <laughs> it's almost like the end to Captain America, the first Avenger, <laughs> when, uh. um, you know, Cap wakes up and it's, I had I had a date. I mean, mm-hmm. it's very bittersweet. You're happy that Captain America survived. You're happy that he's in the modern time now and he can have his own adventures with the Avengers. But at the same time, he had a date and he mm-hmm. missed it because, you know, he made a very, you know, heroic, selfless decision. In his own way, the doctor is man out of time, <laughs> kind of also. Mm-hmm. I mean, he calls himself a Rip Van Winkle. I yeah. mean, it's. Absolutely. And and you think about like once he gets to the Alpha Quadrant, obviously Voyager's crew is long gone mm-hmm. and then but he's hoping to find, you know, the records at least of what happened to them and hopefully they got back home and, and all this and that. So it's a very bittersweet ending and, and you know, you, you, you could almost have your own little fan fiction series of the Doctor's Adventures on the way back to the Alpha Quadrant. <laughs> I'd watch that. I would too, actually. <laughs> Robert Picardo in his own show, absolutely. Like I like the idea of him like running into other versions of himself. That version of the hologram is probably the same one that was given out to other ships and stuff at that same time and not upgraded because I have seen the one with Andy Dick and <laughs> the upgraded version or whatever. <laughs> and so like him interacting with other, just finding the things and, and turning them on and then not them not being sassy or anything. And sure. then just him, him teaching hologram versions of himself and other and others how to be more human. <laughs> you know, and, and speaking of that, I would love to see the doctor, somewhere in the Picard era just after the whole synths have been now it's okay to have synths again like artificial intelligence we're okay with that like what's been going on with the doctor during that time I would love for them to explain that no absolutely it would be fun to see him and seven of nine together again that's for Mm. sure absolutely I I would enjoy that very much Because it's very clear that he has feelings for Seven of Nine. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah, for sure. And as the as the series goes on, you see it more and more. Um, but uh, yeah, I, I would uh, I would totally love to see him in uh, in Picard. See what what he would do and what what he's up to, and um, you know, especially since we've gotten Seven of Nine. You know, it's like um, it would be great to see him as well. Yeah. So you heard it here first, people. We want Robert Picardo <laughs> in, in Picard season two. <laughs> watch out! Well, watch out for when we're out with our signs. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> Didn't they just do like Bring some the, the cast of Voyager did a uh, like a reunion? Oh, something. 
Yeah, they just did like a virtual reunion. Uh, I think I think mo- I think everybody showed up. Yeah. So that I, was uh, yeah. And if the community virtual reunion mm-hmm. got them talking about community the movie, I'm just saying things could happen. They could. They could indeed happen. I mean, all those actors are all still around. Um, I, I, I don't know about Robert Beltran if he'd want to come back and play Chakotay as, <laughs> you know, he very famously tried to get fired for years. So ah. I don't know. <laughs> oh, I don't know this. He tried to get fired? So apparently um, he took the job um, as as the legend goes. He took the job of playing Chakotay and uh, he didn't expect the series to last very long, uh, a la Patrick Stewart in, for, in TNG. Um, and then as the show went on, and then after they introduced Seven of Nine, he really felt like his character just kept getting crappy storylines. So he basically decided he was going to try to... He got Yard. He did get Yard. He did. Um, he... Yes, he got Yard. Because you still had, like... Even though there were a lot of seven of nine centric episodes, you still had Tom and 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 um, Harry on their adventures. You had Tom and Bolana. You had Neelix and Tuvok. You had the Doctor. Like you had people. You know, you had Janeway uh, doing her stuff. And, th- and you know, and then it was like, and then there's Chakotay, which they never, they didn't know what to do with him after a while. And so. He basically set out on a campaign to get fired. And so he basically would like just show up and kind of phone in his performance a little bit. But every year they kept giving the staff raises and he kept getting a raise. And so he was like, I can't get fired. And he ended up sticking with it till the end. Um, so I don't know how he would. Yeah, I, <laughs> I'd seen like a quote from him that was like. That just sounded like he was kind of like, uh, yeah, I got stuck with this thing kind of thing. <laughs> I mean, he kind of, yeah. He... he did get stuck with a role that, like, I feel like he, there are moments in the series, especially in this episode, where he really does an amazing job, but mm-hmm. they don't really do anything with his character. And it's, I feel like he's really, really underused. Oh, 100%. And... Cause he should have been in more because he has such a nice, soothing voice. <laughs> Yeah, I I had okay. such a crush on him when this show was airing live. I had a I don't blame huge, you. <laughs> I had a huge crush on him, um, and I was always until so you see the Caesar haircut, and it's like, no, please don't. do And that it's like, again. okay, no, that's all right. <laughs> please don't do that again. <laughs> uh, yeah, because I was just like, I really I like him. That's kind of sad that he didn't enjoy it, <laughs> but it's understandable. I mean, yeah. you know, people have left obviously for for the same reasons, but. You but know, it's, hey, it's, if you're getting paid. Yeah. No, it's interesting because on Voyager, especially for some reason, um, there were a couple of people who were not happy with being part of the fandom. Um, Roxanne Dawson, who played uh, Bolana Torres, really took this as like a job. Mm-hmm. And to be caught up in the fandom of Star Trek, she wasn't a fan of it. Um, whereas on the other side of the coin, you have Tim Russ, who is probably the world's biggest Star Trek fan mm-hmm. and wanted to be a part of Star Trek forever. And we you know finally now is, and he's, you know, really, you know, excited to be a part of the fandom, but yeah, Voyager had a good number of people who were just like, it's a job. I, it's not like, 
I don't care about being part of like the Star Trek universe. So, but you know, to each his own, of course. Yeah. You know, whatever. <laughs> <laughs> oh, all right. So I guess that uh, I guess that ends our episode. Uh, Great well, discussion. Thank you, yeah. yeah. Thank uh, you so much for having me on again. This is yes. delightful. Yes. Oh, I'm so I'm so glad you wanted to come back. That's great. Um, <laughs> and uh, yeah, hopefully, you know, as as uh, New York City begins to open up, hopefully, I can I get to see you in person Ooh. one of these days. <laughs> yeah, you'll have to come by the cheese counter. Absolutely. <laughs> <laughs> yep, uh, Nicola. Before we go, do you have do you have anything you wanna you just wanna tell people that they can come by to the cheese counter or something? <laughs> Well, I mean, if you, you wanna... are technically an essential person. Uh, uh, che- hey, fancy cheese, cheese is always cheese essential. Cheese is essential, yes. Mm-hmm. I... Never has not been essential. <laughs> <laughs> right. But if people want to check out, like, cheese pictures, I post on Instagram under devil in a ball cap. And you can also follow me on Twitter at formerly golden. Right. right. Cool. I guess we'll talk to you next time and uh, boldly go where no one gone before. Alright, bye. Take care. See ya. Picard Cast is hosted by Brooke and Rebecca. You can find us at facebook.com slash picardcast on twitter.com at the picardcast or email us at picardcast at gmail.com. Thanks for listening, and boldly go where no one has gone before.